0: James Michener was a prolific writer in the 1900s. Many of you may have come across his books. He actually received a Pulitzer Prize in 1948. In his memoir, Near the End of His Life, he tells the story of visiting a farmer who lived near the edge of their property. He lived out in the country in a rural area. And he visited the farmer, and this farmer had an old apple tree that James Michener said growing up, they used to just go and pluck these amazing apples off of this tree. But somewhere along the way, the tree, at least James Mitchner concluded, had just gotten so old that it just wasn't able, it lost kind of its energy and ability to bear fruit anymore. And so one day, he's observing early spring day, he sees the farmer take eight large rusty nails, and he sees the farmer start driving these rusty nails in first four of them at the base of the tree near the roots. He just sees him hammering in, and then four of them around the circumference of the trunk farther up. And then James Mitchner writes this, that autumn, a miracle happened. The tired old tree having been goaded back to life, produced a bumper crop of juicy red apples, bigger and better than it had been before. When I asked how this happened, the farmer replied, hammering in the rusty nails gave it a shock to remind it that its job is to produce apples. Was it important that the nails were rusty, I asked? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe because uh, maybe it made the mineral, you know, the mineral made it, the nail easier to digest, the farmer said. Was eight important? If you're going to send a message, be sure it's heard, said the farmer. Could you do the same next year, I asked. The farmer paused, looked me right in the eye, and said, a substantial jolt. Last 10 years. Tonight we remember the substantial jolt of the rusty nail. Tonight we remember that in our deepest valleys and darkest days, we have a companion who knows, who sees, who understands. Tonight we remember how how one day can become a very devastating day how one day can become that day when it looks like all the hopes and dreams are just shattered and left on the ground how one day can seem like it's all over. you know for the early disciples in the first century on this night on this day that's what that's what was like they Their one day had unfolded not like anything they had envisioned. No matter how often Jesus had prepared them for this day and this night, they just couldn't piece it together. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, they knew with every fiber of their being that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, their anointed one. They knew he had come to rescue and heal and free. They knew it. What they couldn't piece together was how their Messiah was brutally beaten, flogged beyond recognition, the injustice of the trial. And then it turned into the Roman soldiers strutting all about, and they just, the bloodshed and the brutality, and then eventually he's tilted up on the cross, on Golgotha, and they just couldn't imagine that God could redeem and harvest anything remotely good out of Crucifixion Friday. You see, they were prepared for a lot of things. They weren't prepared for this substantial jolt of the rusty nail. And so many of you here tonight, you are so well-versed in the rusty nail. Some of you have recently sat beside a loved one, and, and you watch their life fade away far sooner than you ever imagined. You're like, like Debbie Wilhoyt and her family living this week, right? So her, her father on Wednesday gets in the car and drives to go to a car wash. Debbie told me today he, just, he loved clean cars, a man after my own heart right there. He loved clean cars, and he drove through the car wash all the time. He knew all the people at the car wash, and he pulled away from the car wash, and he was in an accident. And now she's preparing her dad's memorial service. It was just two days ago. Others of you have sat in a doctor's office that you thought was a routine visit and it turned far from routine. And some of you who went to work and had a job that you thought was secure and stable and fulfilling only to find out it was over. Are some of you enduring kind of the tearing apart of your household under under kind of the the banner of betrayal and hurt and and then still others where you've got someone you love so much and they're caught in a cycle of addiction or you yourself are in a cycle of addiction and you can't see a pathway out. And you're like the early disciples and and you're seeing one nail turn into two, turn into four, turn into six, and by the eighth nail, you're screaming out what Mary and James and John and Peter were just saying, stop, please stop. Only to hear the whisper from the Father right at that moment, said, this day, this day is the way. This day is the way. To hear the Father say, there's only one path to resurrection, and the path to resurrection has to go through the cross of crucifixion. Or to say it another way, the glory of Sunday shines brightest on the canvas of Friday. And Jesus knew this. He had tried to repeatedly explain where he was headed. And do you remember when he got to Gethsemane and how difficult he knew this day was going to be to live? How difficult was this day? The Son of God asked his Father, Lord, is there any other way? Is there a plan B If you've ever asked the Lord that question, know you've got a good companion in Jesus. I'm comforted by that. How many times I've said, Lord, please, isn't there another way, Lord? Jesus asked that. Because it was so hard. Because he knew at the end of Friday he was going to lay down his life. He knew that these spikes were going to be driven into his physical body. He knew he would writhe in pain. He knew he would hang on that cross for hours. He knew it would be beyond imagination what he would physically endure. He knew all of that. And he said, with a deep breath and sweating drops of blood, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. I will go. Because Jesus knew this way, that this day was the way. The way to what? The final answer to the question that stands above all other questions. What do we do with our sin? Do You know, that's the dominant question for the human experience since Genesis 3. What do we do with our sin? Tonight, Jesus gives the definitive answer. What you do with your sin. You say that this day is the way. This day said, this is what you do with your sin. You bring your sin to Jesus and he brings his healing grace to you. Tonight, Jesus says, remember, I lived the life you and I could never live. And I chose the death you and I would never choose. And I received the rusty nails that you and I all deserve to receive. Jesus did all of that for us so he could stand before the human race and before the Father. And he could purchase what the the disciples were thinking. Where is salvation? Where is redemption? Where is healing? Jesus says, it's in the rusty nail." And I know you weren't prepared for this substantial jolt. But this day shows you this is the way. That it doesn't matter what we've strayed into, it doesn't matter where we've gone and what we've done and how far we've been away. It doesn't matter how deep the valley or how dark the day. Tonight says, we worship a God of the rusty nail. The Bible calls him a suffering servant. And if you've been in that place where you've cried out, Lord, I don't know who understands. I don't know who could possibly help, who could identify with the depth of what I'm going through. Tonight says, there is one. And you have a companion. And we remember that what he laid down tonight, his very life purchased for us the life we have received and gathered in that name tonight. And so, in just a few minutes, we're going to dismiss you to the tables on each side of the stage here, the communion tables prepared for you and I'd like for you to when you approach the table I'd like you to approach it as a people of the rusty nail and when you tear off the bread I'd like for you to think about what is it that he the, the, the beating and the suffering that he bore on our behalf that when we tear it off we remember suffering servant And we dip it into the juice, we remember a blood that was spilled out, that He gave what we could never give. And then we remember this day, this way. This became the path. And the Bible says, as we come to the table, one step that's really important for us as a people. 1 Corinthians 11 says we should pause. And of course, of all days, we pause tonight. And we step back and we reflect. And the Bible calls this examination and confession. So I'm going to lead you through in just a moment of some personal examination and reflection. And then Julia's going to come up and lead us corporately in a time. And then she'll release us to the tables. And the way we do communion around here, if you've never done a communion here at Eagle, is you'll come with friends and family and gather around the table. And then you can spread out all around the room. If you want to get in groups and pray together, sit quietly in the blue chairs, wherever you'd like to do, the team will continue to lead us. And there's prayer benches on both sides of the tables there. And you can, if you'd like prayer, Maybe there's something, maybe the rusty nail has just hit a place in your life where you just need someone else to come alongside you, put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you. You come to those benches over there and we'll pray with you. And that tonight reminds us uh, we're not alone. Every single blue chair has a story. Every story has a theme. And the theme is this. It's a rusty nail bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Matthew 26, Jesus cried out, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Where are the spikes being driven into the roots of your life these days? how is God coming to you in that place of pain and suffering? Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. You know, sometimes it's really easy to sin in the valley. In our weariness, we, we reach for things that are less than God's best for us. I'd like you to ask, ask God right now to expose any of those places in your heart right now. Is there anything going on in your life and in your thoughts and your attitudes and your words and your relationships? Anything that you look at and you know God calls that offensive to him? I want you to just open that up to him. Psalm 32 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I'd just like you to visualize right now you uncovering your sin before God. Just visualize you uncovering it before Him. Spreading it out in the open, being honest about where your struggles and your failures are. Just lay it right out there in the open before Him. Now I want you to visualize, as you uncover your sin before God, I want you to visualize Him covering it up in Jesus. That there's nothing you're dealing with that the cross isn't completely sufficient to handle. where things are out of bounds. Bring us back to that posture of dependence. Help us, Lord, to receive the gift of the rusty nail. Knowing it's going to harvest something out beyond what we could ask or imagine. We trust you for it.
1: We're going to continue with this theme of confession. And I would like you all to stand up because we're going to do. So, the idea behind this is that yes, we want to confess to the Lord individually, we want Him to to bring out our sin individually so we can deal with it in the light of His grace. But we also want to do it together. So the idea behind this is that we are confessing as a group, as a community, as a body, and we are appealing to his graciousness together. So you'll see two two sections on the screen. One is that of the reader, that is me. And the second section is all, and that's all of us together. So we will read those portions together. But one thing I want to encourage you to keep in mind that as we confess, as you confess individually, As the Lord works with you and deals with you in the matters of sin, it was love and not anger that drove Jesus to the cross, that brought Jesus to the cross. That God's desire is to forgive us and to heal us and to redeem us. And when we confess, we are appealing to those things. We are appealing to that desire that he wants to do these things, that he's gracious to do these things. So as we say this together, we're going to take a moment at the end to pause. And don't be afraid of the silence. Receive the goodness and the grace that God has to give to you. All right. Oh, Father, we are gathered before you, the creator of heaven and earth, to confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. We have not loved you with all our heart and soul. We have not loved you with all our mind and strength. We have not even loved our neighbor as ourselves. Gracious God, we confess that we have longed too much for the comforts of this world. We have loved the gifts more than the giver. Forgive us, O God, and show us your majesty. Gracious God, we confess that we have given in to the tyranny of the urgent, We have found significance in busyness instead of finding significance in you. Forgive us, O God, and draw us near to you. Gracious God, we confess that we have been quick to anger and slow to forgive. We have forgotten how much we too have been forgiven. Forgive us, O God, and teach us humility. Gracious God, we confess that we are numb to the reality of sin We have become apathetic, choosing not to share the story of Jesus with those around us. Forgive us, O God, and burden us with kingdom mission. We plead your forgiveness on the merits of Jesus Christ. Accept his worthiness for our unworthiness, his sinlessness for our transgressions, his fullness for our emptiness, his glory for our shame, his death for our life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, revive our souls in this moment and in this place. As we approach the table, help us to remember, reflect, and experience anew you as our first love. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness, for your continued mercy that you give, that we do not suffer alone, that you know what it is to suffer with us. You know what it is to walk through hard things. Thank you that you do not leave us, that we are not forsaken, that we are not left alone. Thank you that you carry the weight of our sin on yourself, that you stretch out forgiveness freely, freely, with love and graciousness that you deal with us kindly we are grateful to you we thank you that you invite us in that you call us your family your children we love you and we want to honor you with our lives bring out the things in us that need to be dealt with help us to deal with one another graciously as you deal with us graciously Thank thank you that your heart is to heal, is to redeem. Thank you that sin does not have the final say. That this day is not the last day. As we enter into a time of communion, we ask that your spirit would be present. That we would acknowledge who you are and what you have done. The magnitude of that. Help us to remember, remind us. We love you. We're grateful to you. Amen. Okay, with this next song, we're going to dismiss to the communion tables that you see up at the front. You do not have to be a member at Eagle. You do not have to regularly attend here at Eagle. We just ask that you be a believer in Jesus. That's the requirement for taking communion. So as I exit the stage and we begin the song, you are dismissed. You can stand in the open areas. You can go back to your seat. You can take a time of prayer or extended time with family. That's great. That's perfect. But you are dismissed to the tables.
0: Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.